1: everybody, and welcome to the Squiggly Careers podcast. If it's your first time here, this is a podcast all about the world of work and how we can develop the skills to succeed in work when it might feel difficult Challenging and uncertain, and there might be some problems that we're encountering that we don't quite know how to solve. We are here for you. We've got over 170 episodes to help you with everything from feedback to difficult conversations, job interviews, motivation, all of it's there. So, welcome if it's your first time, you've got some things to listen to, and hope it can help you. And if you're a regular listener, Lovely to have you with us. This is one of our episodes, our Ask the Expert series that we've put on. And this series is all about talking to some people about the specific skills that we think are useful and relevant for work right now. If you're anything like us, the last sort of seven, eight months has felt really challenging, really tough. We've had to draw on our reserves and develop different skills and strengths to really be at our best in this kind of working context. And so we've gone and spoke to some people about different skills. In this series, we've talked to Mary Porters about kindness and how we can have more kindness for ourselves and each other in the workplace. Uh, We've spoken to David Epstein about the importance of experimentation. Just last week, I spoke to Elizabeth Uwebenene about confidence and how we can all develop authentic confidence. So lots that we've already talked about. And today we're talking about habits, the value of habits. And actually, having almost that healthy work habits has been really meaningful for me. Thinking about how I set my day up for success, the things that I do repeatedly, and how I develop new habits has been important. And I was so, so happy that I could talk to James Clear, somebody that is a sort of a recognized expert in this area. His book, Atomic Habits, has sold over a million copies. And we really get practical on habits. We talk about things like the difference between outcome and identity based habits. I found that fascinating and how identity based habits can help us make them last for longer. So hopefully, That will help you too. And we also talk about how you can break up with bad habits, the things that might be sticking around a bit too long, and also build new helpful habits before we get started with the conversation I did just want to say a big thank you to the Booper Foundation who are our partner for this Ask the Expert series. If you don't know about the Booper Foundation they're a charity whose purpose is to help people live longer healthier happier lives and if you would like another podcast listen they've just launched one too it's called Resilience Brilliance and you can find it everywhere you find your podcast. wherever you found Squiggly you can find that one too. So let's get started with my conversation with James and then I'll be back at the end to let you know who's coming up next in our Ask the Expert series. Hi, James, and welcome to the squiggly careers podcast.
0: Hello, great to talk to you.
1: It's really great to talk to you. Thank you so much for being here with us. So let's dive straight in if that's okay with you into the world of habits. Now our podcast is all about careers and squiggly careers. How do you think that habits can help you in your career and also in your career development?
0: Well, let me give you two ways. So the first is something that I've been doing recently, a little habit that I've built over the last couple of weeks, which is every morning I've started the day with a blank piece of paper and I write one question at the top, which is what do you really want? And I think most people in life generally know what they want, want to be healthy, or we want to make more money, or we'd like to reduce stress or whatever. But I think it's true that most people, and certainly myself, don't precisely know what they want. And it's much easier to get what you want if you're clear about what that is. And so what's funny to me or what's surprising is how useful it is to ask that question, the same question, again and again each morning. And so by doing that, my answers shift, they get more precise. And then the next step that I take, which is after I answer that, I write down just like, what are three to five action steps that I could take to move toward that thing that I say I want? Any type of repeated practice like that specifically with questions that are valuable to ask yourself again and again can be really a really helpful little habit to build but the bigger one and when i look at the arc of my career i feel like a lot of people talk about oh it's not what you know it's who you know it's not you know your social network is such a big part of that your next opportunity particularly you know to use your language if you have a squiggly career you may not know where the next opportunity is going to come from or what the next thing is that's going to excite you But it often comes out of your network in some broad sense. And so knowing interesting people or knowing people who are like-minded or ambitious or have other, you know, share the same kind of things that you're looking to share can be really valuable. And so the natural next question is, well, how do you meet those people? And usually people say things like, oh, you know, like there's all the standard networking advice, go to these network events, go to conferences, you know, obviously that's much harder this year or send cold emails, which can be helpful, but also can be hard. And when I look back, what I find is that the most meaningful habit that I've had in terms of building my career and particularly getting in touch with people, the best networking strategy that I can think of is sharing your insights publicly. So that could be through writing and in my case, it could be starting a YouTube channel, could be starting a podcast in your case. You know, I'm sure there are all kinds of interesting opportunities that have come to you because you chose to share your thoughts on careers through this podcast. And so sharing your work publicly is kind of like a magnet. It attracts like-minded people. And so rather than doing it outbound and trying to somehow magically find these people, you can share the insights that you have or the thoughts that you have or the beliefs that you have and people who share those same things will come and find you And so I think the habit of creating or the habit of sharing, the habit of uh, posting your thoughts in some form of media is a really powerful career-related habit and certainly has paid dividends for me.
1: In the book, you talk about the importance of starting small, and that was something that really resonated with me. So if you want to develop as a thought leader, for example, just start small with a short article on LinkedIn or actually even smaller with a short post about a podcast you've listened to and then start that way.
0: Yeah, the phrase that I like is to write about what fascinates you, or you could say the same thing about a podcast or YouTube or whatever. You don't need to be an expert. You don't have to have your PhD in it. You'll often figure it out along the way. And I I think similar to many people early on, I kind of had this little bit of imposter syndrome, sort of like, you know, who am I to write about habits? Like, why, you know, why would I start about it? You know, this is five or six or seven years ago. And I had a friend who said, well, the way that you become an expert is by writing about it every week. And I internalized that idea, and I really liked that. It was like, you know, I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday. If you do that for two or three years, actually, yeah, it turns out there aren't really that many people who have written 150 articles on habits or whatever. And you do develop uh, an expertise through the act of showing up consistently. It's almost always better to do less than you had hoped than to do nothing at all. And if you can keep showing up and putting those reps in each day, even if it seems like a small thing, it seems minor on any given day, but it ends up turning into like some kind of heroic deed in the long run, because most people don't actually do that. And so it, it really compounds over time.
1: So I asked our community for questions to share with you. And um, Ben, who founded a brilliant organization called The Rebel Book Club, asked, what is one of the hardest habits that you have found to break?
0: So let me give you two. One that I still have not broken, and I think many of us deal with, is checking our phone all the time. If I have my phone next to me, I'll check it every two or three minutes just because it's there. And so one thing that I've tried to do to reduce that a little bit is I leave my phone in another room until lunch each day. And it doesn't work for everybody's job, but it's doable for me. And what's nice about it is that I get a block of, say, three or four hours where I can just work on my agenda rather than responding to everybody else's or all the incoming stuff. And what's funny is that I have a home office, so it's only 30 seconds away, but I never go and get it. And so I'm like, well, did I want it or not? You know, like in one sense, I wanted it bad enough to check it every three minutes when it was next to me. But in another sense, I never wanted it so bad to go work 30 seconds to get it. And there are a lot of bad habits that are surprisingly like that, that if you just increase the friction a little bit, if you just redesign the environment so it's not the obvious choice, it's not the path of least resistance anymore, there's a little bit of separation between you and that behavior, you'd be surprised how often that's effective at getting it to reduce. The other one that I've struggled with, I'm pretty good about sleep in terms of getting enough sleep, but the element that I struggle with is going to bed at the right time. So I'll often get a second wind around say nine or 10 p.m. And I'll be like, well, maybe I'll just answer a few emails or maybe I'll just do a little bit of work. And of course it's never just a few, right? You turn around and it's like midnight and you're still working. And I know that I have better days when I wake up early But if I'm not going to cheat myself on sleep and then suddenly it's midnight, well, now all of a sudden I'm sleeping until 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. or whatever. And so the day gets off on a bad foot. And so it's trying to break that cycle. And that one's been harder for me to break.
1: One of the things that struck me in the book was when you talked about there not being good and bad habits, and there only being effective habits. And I think it resonated because I can see it in myself when I make these very binary distinctions between good and bad habits, and that that might not be helpful for habit change. Can you talk a little bit more about how getting rid of this idea of good and bad habits can be helpful for people?
0: Yeah, well, it certainly is easy to judge yourself for them. I think we all have experienced this because you're like, well, if it's a bad habit, why do I keep doing it? You know, if it's so bad for me, why do I keep repeating it? And the point that I was trying to get across there is that all habits are solutions to recurring problems in your environment. So a problem that arises again and again, your brain tries to figure out how to resolve that, and eventually it automates it. And so all of your bad habits serve some purpose. They're effective in some way in the sense that they resolve that problem. So let's say, for example, you come home from work and you're exhausted. For one, that's a problem that your brain is looking to solve. And for one person, they might smoke a cigarette to reduce stress. Another person might play video games for an hour. A third person might go for a run in their neighborhood. And all of those are potential solutions to the same underlying problem. But some of those habits are healthier than others. Some are less productive than others. We shouldn't judge ourselves for them because for most of us, perhaps for all of us, during our childhood, we inherit habits and behaviors. We just soak up things that are around us that we see displayed, that we see role modeled, whatever. But once you become an adult, the responsibility starts to shift to your shoulders and it becomes your responsibility to figure out what are the problems that my habits are solving and is there a better or more healthy or optimal way to do that? And then you start to explore those things. But I don't think it makes sense to berate yourself for the habits that you inherited because you didn't necessarily have control over that anyway. So that's kind of what I mean when I talk about habits being effective. I will add one final thing, which is that I like to define good and bad habits in the sense of what is the ultimate outcome they provide. You find that most behaviors in life produce an immediate outcome and an ultimate outcome. So for many bad habits, the immediate outcome is favorable, like the immediate outcome of eating a donut is great, it's sweet, it's sugary, it's tasty, it's enjoyable. It's only the ultimate outcome that's unfavorable. The same is true for good habits, but in the reverse, you know, like the immediate outcome of say going to the gym for the first week is kind of unfavorable, like your body looks the same in the mirror, the scale hasn't really changed, maybe you're sore. It's only two or five or 10 years later that you get that ultimate outcome that you're hoping for. And so the cost of your good habits is in the present, the cost of your bad habits is in the future. And I think that's kind of a meaningful way to distinguish between what is a a good habit and what is a bad habit? Well, how do they serve you in the long run, not how do they serve you in the moment?
1: So my biggest aha moment in the book was when you talked about the difference between an outcome-based habit and identity-based habits. And I would love for other people to hear a bit more about that. Could you explain the difference between the two
0: Usually when we start the process of behavior change, the common narrative or the typical conversation is, well, what do you want to achieve? And so people say things like, well, I'd like to, you know, lose weight or I want to get this promotion or whatever it is. So we start with some kind of outcome and then we come up with a plan for that. So we have a process that we're going to follow. We say, well, if I want to lose weight, I need to go to the gym four days a week. And then there's kind of a last step, which is just sort of assumed which is, well, if I go to the gym four days a week and I achieve that outcome of losing weight, then I'll be the person I want to be. So I'll have the identity that I want to have. And my argument is to reverse that process. Rather than to do an outcome-based habit, let's start with an identity-based habit. And so the identity-based habit says, well, who is the type of person that could achieve the thing that I want to achieve? Maybe it's the type of person that doesn't miss workouts, for example. And so you focus on building that identity Rather than on achieving that outcome, and say, okay, now I wanna be the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. So now my process becomes maybe I'm going to the gym four days a week, but it's different than it was before. Before, it was based on the outcome. And so I felt like I had to go for 45 minutes. And if I didn't do the full workout, it was a failure. And if I wasn't increasing the weight, it wasn't good. But now we're saying the identity is I just don't miss workouts. So if I only have five minutes and I can only do three pushups, that's what I do. But it still builds on that identity. And you trust that over time, if you build the habits that reinforce your desired identity, the outcomes will come naturally along the way. Ultimately, I think true behavior change is really identity change. And what I mean by that is that once you start to adopt a new identity, you're not even really trying to force yourself to do it anymore. You're not trying to change your behavior. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person that you see yourself to be. So The real goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The goal is not to do a silent meditation retreat. It's to become a meditator. The goal is not to write a book. It's to become a writer. Because once you start to assign that identity to yourself, I'm a runner, I'm a writer, I'm a meditator, or whatever, um, you start to see yourself in that new way and the behaviors become much more natural. And ultimately, just to close the loop on this, this is the real reason why I think habits matter. You know, we often talk about habits as being important because they are the pathway to external results. But really, I think the reason they matter is they're the pathway to shaping your self-esteem and crafting a new narrative about yourself. Because every action that you take is like a vote for the type of person you wish to become. And so each time you do those small habits, you build up votes, you build up evidence of that new identity. No, writing one page does not finish the novel but it does cast a vote for I'm a writer and no doing one push up does not transform your body, but it does cast a vote for I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. And that seems small and minor on any given day, but in the long run it counts for a lot. And I think it also reshapes the way you look at things where you say, you know what? The circumstances were not ideal. I couldn't get my full workout in, or I couldn't write for an hour today, but I did not miss a workout and I did get one sentence written down and so on. And so building up evidence of your desired identity, I think, is one of the most powerful things that habits can do. That's why I like to recommend starting with identity-based habits rather than outcome-based habits.
1: And the last question that we always ask our guests is, what is the best piece of career advice you've heard? Uh, Maybe it's something that's helped you or that you can share with our listeners, and hopefully it might be able to help them in the same way.
0: Well, I actually just heard this recently. I thought it was really helpful for me, and I I think uh, people may find it useful for their own experience as well. The basic idea is that when most people give advice, they're actually trying to fix their own story. And that struck me in kind of a meaningful way, because what you realize is that you have to run your own race, you have to make the decision yourself and decide what is it that I actually want? What is it that's the best fit for my life? And I think a lot of people assume that they're being helpful when they give advice. But actually, they're just trying to fix the holes in their own story, right? They're, they're thinking about what would have been helpful for me when I was in that situation. And so you have to keep that piece of context in mind whenever you're receiving some bit of information and make sure that, you know, you're still questioning, does this make a good fit for what I actually want to do? So I think another way of saying that is to trust yourself to figure it out. And I would say that that's probably my best definition for what an entrepreneur is in the sense that entrepreneur, you have to trust that you'll figure it out. You're always dealing with problems that you don't know the solution to, or you have an idea, but you're not quite sure how to make it happen. I think it probably applies not just to entrepreneurs, but to all of us that we need to trust ourselves to figure it out and to have the confidence that you can fix the holes in your own story and the pieces that people give to you may not necessarily be the right fit, but, um, be open to that and always be looking for ideas and then you'll have to make the call yourself.
1: So I hope you enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. I was trying to scribble down notes when James was talking. And it's quite difficult because I I really want to stay present in the conversation. But equally, I'm like, oh, wow, I want to go and do that right now. I need to make a note on that. So I'll definitely be listening back and adding to my notes as I listen. So next week is actually going to be Sarah, who's doing our next Ask the Expert interview. And she'll be speaking to Shelley Archambault about ambition. And Shelley is a leader in Silicon Valley who's got a new book out called Unapologetically Ambitious. And if you don't know Shelley, I thought that this quote from Reid Hoffman, who is the co-founder of LinkedIn, particularly tells you about what you can expect from the conversation that we have. So he says that Shelley has achieved amazing success through a clear strategy of setting goals, making plans and intelligent risk taking. In this book, she's now sharing these strategies with us, why to set an ambitious plan and how to achieve it. Highly recommended. So hopefully, if you don't know Shelley, that fact that Reid Hoffman, the co-founder of LinkedIn, kind of endorsing that book gives you a bit of a taster of what's to come and hopefully you'll enjoy that conversation too. So thank you as ever for listening. If you do enjoy the podcast, you have enjoyed this conversation, please do tell people about it so we can help more people with their careers. You can either do that or in a chat, <laughs> or you can help us by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. It's one of the ways that we are able to reach more people and let people know about the Squiggly Careers podcast. So we always appreciate all of that. And you can get in touch with us as well, either on at AmazingIf on Instagram. We're pretty active there. So do send us a message and say hello, or you can email Helen and Sarah at squigglycareers.com. Let us know what you think about the episode. And also, if you've got ideas for future episodes, we are all ears to those too. Thanks, everybody. Bye. <laughs>